Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message continues our series one with Pastor Omar Lopez in a message called One Decision. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount and be sure to check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. Enjoy this message. Praise God. We appreciate your giving. You can be seated and we're glad you're in the house of God today. Are you glad you're here today? I'm glad you're here. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but we need to be at the house of God before the game, right? And so I don't care who you're cheering for. Those teams don't matter to me. But anyway, um, it's good to be together. Turn to someone and say you're in the right place at the right time right now. I believe that today. And so I've got a lot to cover this morning. And so this sermon is going to be about three hours. No, it's not. But... But uh, I do have a lot to cover, honestly, and uh, I'm going to try to get through this message, and hopefully I can convey uh, the thought that, that, that the Lord has put in my heart. Uh, and so, um, obviously, we're on this series called The One, and we've been talking about one person makes a difference. One encounter makes a difference. One thing that you do can make a difference. Last week, I talked about the one response of, at the woman at the well, that one response, uh, sometimes our perception becomes polluted by our past experience. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about one decision. Say one decision. All of us make decisions every day. And believe it or not, the decisions you, that you make can affect your life, many times the rest of your life. And so decisions are critical, and I believe it's a skill that we need to learn and it's who we get with sometime <clears throat> that will influence our decision. And so I want to read out of the word of God this morning, uh, out of one decision that these four leprous men, these men that had leprosy, made this decision. And I want to give you a little bit of background of what's going on in this story, because the Syrian army has sieged the Samaritan, or the Samaritan city, which was at that time, the capital of Israel, and they've seized it, they've surrounded it. And this is what it says in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, just to give you a little bit of a foundation of what's happening here. This city has been surrounded, and it says, Sometime later, however, King Benhadah of Aram, which was Syria, mustered his entire army, and he besieged Samaria. As a result, there was great famine in the city. It says, and the seed lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove dung sold for five pieces of silver. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you, God, today that you help us make decisions. So I pray this morning that, Lord, that you would help us today as we realize the one decision has so many consequences and ramifications of what you want to do in our hearts today. And I pray today, God, you'd open our hearts, remove every distraction, so many things on our mind, and God, that we could receive the word of God, and Lord, that your word would penetrate those areas of our lives that need transformation. And God, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I declare your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. And so there are a number of things that are going on in this story that I want to share that are really powerful. And one of the things that it tells us that there was famine in the land 
uh, because the nation of Syria had surrounded the city or the capital of Israel, which was Samaria. And so there was hunger going on. The Bible says uh, that a donkey's head sold for 50 pieces of silver. So if I can just kind of give you uh, uh, an analogy of today, it would be like a donkey burger costing you $50 today. And, and uh, dove poop was like the dessert. So could you imagine going to the restaurant so I want, you know, I want some donkey burger and I want, can you hold the, the bird poop for a little bit? And so there's a lot of things that are going on in this particular story that there's famine, people are starving and, and they're hungry. The second thing that we see that's happening in the story is there's a degree of helplessness. They don't know what to do. They have no idea what they're going to do next. Uh, money is scarce. Uh, there's no way out, it seems. Uh, they are in a spiritual condition uh, in which they feel helpless before God. In fact, uh, there's a verse of scripture where they're not only becoming helpless, uh, but now they have turned to cannibalism. And I know it's a, an ugly thing to say, but they're starving and there's so much famine happening that they're actually now eating each other's babies. And you can find it in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 28. I won't read the scripture, uh, but it talks about one of uh, these two ladies having to eat their own children. Uh, if you ever seen like the movie Survive, you ever seen that movie Survive? And, and that movie Survive where the rugby team, uh, they crash and, and the survivors, uh, they basically live off the bodies of their teammates that are dead. And it helps them survive. So cannibalism tells you the desperation that it's happening. And the other part of this particular story is there seems to be hopelessness. They don't know what they're going to do next. In fact, I'll read 2 Kings 6, verse 30. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes because these women talked about eating uh, their children. And as he passed by the wall, the people looked and underneath he had sackcloth on his body. So when you wore sackcloth under your body during that time or ancient times, it was a, a sign of hopelessness, that there was just no hope. And how many understand the worst word in the English language is hopelessness? Man, when you have no hope, things are dire. In fact, I read a quote and said, a man can live about 40 days without food and about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. And so it was a common thing, a common military strategy, when uh, you were conquered by another army, what they would do is they would surround the city and they would cut off supplies. And basically nothing was coming in and nothing was going out. There was no way you can get any supplies. And that's what exactly what was happening here. The Syrian army had surrounded Samaria and they were going to starve them out or at least weaken them to a degree so that when they breached the wall, they would be so weak uh, that they couldn't fight. And so the king is so upset. He's mad over what's going on. And this is what happens is that he tears his robe. Now, you would think he's tearing his robe in repentance. You would think he's tearing his robe uh, because he's going to call out on God. But in his actuality, he tears his robe in rage and in anger. And he says, I'm going to go after the prophet Elisha. Isn't it crazy how people would just blame somebody else? And really, if you read the story, and I, I encourage you to read it at, at home, they're in this condition because they have turned to idolatry. They have turned their back on God. 
And everybody knows it, but the king is trying to find somebody to blame. So who is he going to blame? He's going to blame the man of God. It's the pastor's fault. It's that leader's fault. I know it don't happen here, just the church down the street. So they're blaming the prophet of God. And so he says, man, may God do to me what's happening here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to chop off the head. I'm going to kill the prophet Elisha. And so he doesn't want to take responsibility for his own fault, so he's looking for blame, right? Well, I've told you this before. When you blame, you what? Be lame, right? You are lame when you're blaming. So he's blaming other people, and they're going to go to assassinate. The king sends his assassin to go assassinate uh, this uh, prophet Elisha. And this is what happens on their way to assassinate him. They're out the door. Elisha's there, and he realizes what's going on. He knows what's going to happen. And this is what he says in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And really, I'm going to focus in this chapter. Elisha replied, listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. He said, by this time tomorrow in the marketplace of Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. So, Instead of prophesying something bad, he actually prophesies something good. These guys are there to kill him, and he's there to bless him. Isn't that the grace of God sometimes? Man, we get mad at God, and God's just trying to move in your life. And he said what's going to happen, the economy is going to switch over overnight. It's not going to gradually happen. In fact, prices are going to go back to normal. Everything, God's going to meet the need A miracle is going to take place because we serve a God of grace. Thank God it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on the grace of God. And many times we think we got it all together. You're not, we're not nothing in a bag of chips. Am I right? It's the grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we wouldn't be who we are today. We have to recognize that. And so God speaks a monumental promise that's going to take place And instead of receiving the news with gladness, instead of receiving the news with praise, they, they, uh, one of the, one of the guys that the king, the king's right hand man receives the message in skepticism. How many have ever met a skeptic? Skeptic is somebody, they don't trust any. Oh, what's going on here? What's happening? Oh, what, who is he? What that guy? What, you know, they're skeptics about everything. Skeptic about the church, skeptic about a leader. They're just skeptics about, they doubt everything that's going on. You know, they don't doubt, they don't believe anything that's being said because they're skeptics. Something has poisoned their mind and their heart. And look at this skeptic. This is what he said in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 2. Then an officer in whose hand the king was leaning on, the king was leaning on this guy, answered the man of God, if the Lord were to make windows in heaven, could this thing happen really and he said, you will see it. The Elisha prophet said, you will see it with your eye, but you will not eat from it. So the king is leaning on his right-hand man, and his guy, he's so skeptical. He said, man, even if the windows of heaven were to open, it can't even happen. Can I tell you something? Be careful who you lean on. Who you lean on? Who are you leaning on today? Who's that person? Who's that skeptic? And you need to lean on somebody that's good. Back, turn to someone and say, can I lean on you? Yeah, because why? Why? Because I want to lean on someone that has faith. I want to lean on someone that has some faith, not some skepticism. 
Don't be a cynic. Don't be a skeptic. Someone that trusted in themselves and not in God. Man, guard your soul. Can I tell you, guard your soul from being so skeptical. Because you could miss a miracle. You could miss what God's trying to say to you. You're such a skeptic. You're missing what the Lord is trying to do. And you don't even see it. The Bible says you'll see it with your eyes. But you're not going to taste it. That's what he tells them. And so I want to go to this story right here. This is one of my favorite stories. Anybody ever ask you, what's one of Pastor Omar's favorite story? This is one of my favorite stories right here. Because it goes <clears throat> to these four lepers who make one decision. Now, I've been talking about all this past month in January and here in February. I've been talking about uh, one, but usually I've been talking about one individual. This is four lepers, four men that have leprosy. And they make one decision together. Corporately, they make this, this decision. These are the most unlikely heroes, but yet you're going to see how God uses these guys and how they make one decision that impacts the, the nation, impacts so many people. And look at what it says in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3. Again, one of my favorite stories. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. So they're outside the gate there. And they said to one another, they begin engaging conversation, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we're going to die too. So now, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. Remember, the Syrians are surrounding them. If they spare our lives, we're going to live. And if they kill us, we're going to die anyway, right? So... Why don't we take a chance, right? Why don't we, why don't we, we got nothing to lose. Really, when you look at these lepers, especially during ancient, ancient time, leprosy was the worst thing that can happen to you. They were considered not just for lepers, they were, they were considered for losers. I'm just going to be honest with you. They were considered for losers, and leprosy during that time was something that they could not, there was no, no real medication for it. And uh, when you got leprosy in ancient times, uh, it would be like a numbness uh, in your skin and you would begin to scratch. And so many of these lepers were always scratching themselves and not realizing when they did that, uh, they were spreading the infection uh, and their skin was getting worse. And there was lumps on their skin and scales on their skin and their, and their faces were turning white. Their hair was turning all this. It was very, very contagious. In fact, they quarantine you. The quarantine's nothing new, right? They quarantine you outside the city. They make sure that you couldn't get around other people, and you had to announce your condition whenever you came around. So if somebody didn't know you had leprosy because you were so contagious, you had to announce when you were coming at least 20, 30 feet away. You had to tell them, unclean, unclean. As a result, you didn't have very many friends, right? People didn't want to be around you. I'm un Could you imagine if we had to kind of announce our condition to people? They said, I'm a gossiper. I'm a gossiper. I've been talking about you, bro. I hope you're doing okay. Yeah. I'm a thief. I'm a thief. You're missing your cell phone. That's probably me, you know. You know, you had to announce your condition. I, 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 you know, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of you. I hate you, bro. I hate you. Amen. Pray for me. But, you know, all of these, you had to announce your condition. So these guys are announcing their condition. They had to tell people what was wrong with them. And so they're the outcasts of the city. And, you know, they're outside. And, and I'm sure they were used to handouts, but there's no more handouts coming out anymore. 
No more doggy bags are coming their way. Everybody's taking care of themselves. And the number one hit song in Samaria at that time, you know what it was? What was the hit song? You ever heard that song? You ever heard that one? Soy perdedor. That was the hit song. They kept hearing that. I'm a loser, baby. All right, you can turn it off. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. Uh, the reason why I just, you know, I had to find a reason to play the song. But any number of years ago, I used to work at a sales department. Uh, I think it was actually 20, no, uh, actually uh, 30 years ago, I was working in the sales department. And we used to listen to K-Rock every day. Uh, the manager used to play that song every day. They would play the song every hour. And, and I, you know, I, I, I used to get the part, you know, I'm a loser baby, but I didn't know what the first part. I thought it was soldier boy, yeah, soldier boy. And then I, I just realized it was a soy perdidor. I'm a loser in Spanish. I'm a loser baby, so why don't you kill me? I go, what is the world with this song? Turns out that the guy that wrote the song, he experienced several times. He was homeless. He worked minimum wage jobs. He was a, he was a, a musician trying to make it. And so he just put this song together at the fluke, and it became a hit song. Don't, you don't have to go home and listen to it. But anyway, these lepers, are, they're, they're, they're losers, man. And they basically says, you know what, we're going to die anyway. And they're contagious. In fact, if you were a leper back then, it was uh, considered, you were considered someone that had a divine curse. In other words, you were cursed by God. It couldn't get any worse for you. And they were financially bankrupt. They were socially outcast. They were physically broken. And they said to one another, you know what, we're on the verge of death. We're sitting out here, and we're going to die. Why don't we do something? They got an aha moment. All of a sudden, they got a revelation. Something shifted in their mind, and they said, you know what? We, we need to do something. We just can't sit here and die. We can't, you know, if we, if we can't go in the city because there's famine in the city. Why don't we try to do something? Why are we soaking and souring in our misery here. Why don't we try to do something? And they said to one another, why don't we get up and go and get something done? Because they said, if we sit here, we're going to die. There's a lot of people that are sitting, and they realize the more you sit, the more you're going to die, the closer you are to death. They, they did a, a survey, and believe it or not, there's a disease called sitting disease. I know you're all sitting right now, but it's called sitting disease. And they found that 50 to 70% of people that sit more than six hours a day or those that spend four or more hours watching TV literally are killing themselves. They said the person who sits eight hours a day had the 15% chance of dying in the next three years. The person who sits... For 10 hours a day, you have a 40% chance of dying in the next few years. They said, if you, if you have to limit yourself from sitting beyond three hours, even if you sit behind, you got to get up. You got to get moving. The body was meant to move. Anyway, I thought I'd give you that information. So here are these guys. They're in these circumstances. I mean, they're in dire circumstances right now. They're, 
They're in dire, uh, there's calamity that's going on all around them. They don't know what they're going to do. They, again, their condition was probably not their fault. What do I mean by that? They were probably at the wrong place at the wrong time around the wrong person. And uh, that person had leprosy. They caught it. It wasn't their fault. And here they are. Many of the things that are going on in their life is not their fault. Uh, This enemy that surrounded them, they didn't cause the fight. That's the government that's done all that. And so here they are. They're not eating. They're experiencing famine. They weren't prepared for. And so they could have said to themselves, we're in this circumstance. We're in this thing. And so you know what? I, I, I don't know what to do. You know, they could have made excuses. How many know? A lot of us will make excuses. And a lot of times the reasons things happen to us is we caused them, Right? But in this case, these lepers find themselves in circumstances beyond their control. How many have ever found yourselves in some circumstances, not because of your fault, but somebody else's fault? Somebody else's decision, now you're at the other end of that decision, and you're saying, man, I didn't get myself here. And I came across an article that I think is really interesting that will really help all of us this morning, and it's the purpose and the power of responsibility. Now, just the one word responsibility, we could miss it many times, but actually there's two words in that word responsibility. It's the ability or the ability to respond, right? The ability to responsibility is the ability to respond. All of us have been granted a gift of God to have the ability to respond when things happen to us. And I was reading the article, and what it said, there's three things about responsibility. Number one, are you ready for this? Write this down. You cannot improve unless you are willing to own it. We have to own it. You'll never improve until you own some some of that responsibility in your life. Got to own it. Number two, are you ready for this? You cannot adjust and make a change if you keep ignoring it. Ignoring a problem is never healthy. Ignoring a problem is never going to solve it. Number three, you'll never catch a blessing if you keep casting blame. Okay? If you keep casting blame, you're never going to catch the blessing. And so there's one thing that all of us, as I was reading this article, we need to learn the difference between a reason and an excuse. Just because the reason is real doesn't mean the excuse is right. Just because the reason is real doesn't mean that the excuse you're making is right. Reason says something about the situation that you're in, but your excuse says something about you. So we have a lot of reasons why we're in this condition. And if we're not careful this morning, that, that condition and all these circumstances that we're in uh, it could cause a lot of us to have this chronic condition called Helplessness. Did you know that many times helplessness can be a learned condition? It could be something that you learn. In other words, when you learn helplessness, you say, man, all these reasons, all these things that are happening to me, they become an excuse for your helplessness. Somebody needs to hear this today. 
And so what happens, it, it basically, there's, there's this shift in your mind that you can't do anything, that you're powerless, and so therefore, you're not going to move forward. And when a person views things like this, uh, their ability to move forward is based on their circumstances, their welfare, and they begin to allow these circumstances to become sovereign and not God being sovereign. They've allowed all these circumstances to control. So how well they're doing is depending on the circumstances that are in their life. In other words, they won't own responsibility. And we have to have ownership in order for us to experience some kind of change. If I'm going to improve in my life, I've got to take ownership. I've got to stop making excuses. Let me just say it this way. It doesn't matter how you got in this situation. You're responsible to overcome it. Stop making excuses. Can you say amen? So they're sitting there having this conversation. They're sitting there engaging in this conversation. And while they're having this conversation, I'm sure they're itching. You ever met someone that itches? That's another story, amen. Yeah, you know what's going on in their life. They're itching all over. And then uh, they're itching. Uh, their stomach is growling. Uh, they're complaining, you know, the government not taking care of me. Uh, they weren't prepared for this famine. Uh, and while they're complaining, all these things are happening. They're itching, complaining, talking. All of a sudden, uh, something shifts in their mind and they said wait a minute why are we sitting here until we die why are we sitting here making excuses somebody say amen they said we may have a reason to be here but we're not going to let the reason become the excuse to stay here you may have a reason to be where you're at but you cannot allow the reason to make you stay where you're at right now a lot of us this morning, well, all these things happen to me. I understand. I'm not belittling none of your circumstances and all that's gone on, the things that have happened, but you cannot let the reason be the reason uh, uh, to become the excuse why you stay where you're at. And they said, you know what? I'm not going to die here. They said, we're, I'm not going to die in this condition, is what they were saying. I'm not going to die in this state of mind. I'm not going to allow my circumstances to become my excuse uh, for not moving on. Uh, I'm not going to allow these reasons to stop me uh, because I believe God has the future for me. God has something great for me. Uh, and I'm not going to allow the reason to become the excuse of why I stay here. Even if it's not your fault. Even if you didn't cause it you're still responsible to overcome it. Oh, you don't like that kind of preaching. I could tell already. God is bigger than your circumstances. I said, God is bigger than your circumstances. And so the Bible says, they said, let's go over to the enemy. I love that. They went to the enemy's camp, right? And I took back what it stole from me, right? So sometime... God will use the enemy to feed you and sustain you. That's a whole nother sermon. And they realize, you know what? Uh, uh, it's better to do something than do nothing at all. It's better to try and fail than to fail to try. 
So many people, they fail to try. I, I, I rather try and fail than to fail, fail to try. So they said, we're going to do something, and we're going to go over them. And they made one decision, and man, they were completely uh, confounded by what happened as a result of their decision. Look at what happened. They go over in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 5. Again, it's like a movie. I love to hear. It says, so they arose up. They arose at twilight, okay, to go to the camp of the Syrians. So, man, at twilight, like middle, you know, early in the morning, it was at twilight. And when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrian, behold, no one was there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses. It was just four leopards, but they thought it was a bunch of horses and chariots. The sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of Egypt to come against us. In other words, Israel has come together with all these other armies. So they, flipped, so they fled away in the twilight. They abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving all the camp as it was, and they fled for their lives. You got to wonder how big the panic was. The Syrians are running, man, and no one's chasing them, right? The Syrians are in panic. They can't believe something. They're hearing a roar. Can I tell you sometimes when you're praying, you're making a bigger roar. You're making a bigger impact than you understand. You're thinking, man, I, I'm not making no difference. I want you to know the enemy is hearing something greater. The power of God is getting behind what you're doing. The presence of God is getting behind what's going on in your life. And so we know the reality was that, that there was nothing. It was just these uh, uh, four leprous men. But this army of Syria heard this great army. And I, I want you to realize something. There was a miracle that was transpiring. It was supernatural. Because later on, you're going to find out that the people in the city didn't hear the noise. The only one that was hearing the noise was the enemy. And the Bible says this, when the lepers got there in 2 Kings 7, 8, and 9, uh, they came to the outskirts of the camp. They entered in one tent, and they ate and drank. Man, they just said, look it, man, uh, I, I got to eat. I mean, here's the, you know what? Hey, guys, I'm, I'm eating. And then they carried from there silver and gold. They saw silver, gold, clothes. Uh, they went and hid them. They said, we better hide them before they come back. And then they returned and entered another tent. They carried this, uh, and they went and hid them. They said to one another, I love this because they have a conscience. We are not doing right. This is the day of good news, but we're keeping silent. You've got the good news. you got to stop being silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Sometimes God will give what the wicked acquired unto the righteous. Can you say amen? And they could have allowed the reason to make be the excuse to stay there, but instead they went. And this is what I love, because they weren't anticipating that uh, there was not going to be anybody there. They were anticipating to be confronted by an enemy. They were anticipating problems. Sometimes you're trying to figure it out. God's already worked it out. Uh, some of the problems that you're worried about, it's not going to happen. Uh, God's already pushed the enemy out of sight. He's waiting for you to make a move. He's waiting for you to get it up he's waiting for you to do something and we're all worried now i don't want to do this this might happen and, and i just want you to realize something god's already worked it out before you figured it out and there's three things i want to say here 
and, and you can write this down. Three lessons we can learn from these leprous men. At some point, you have to stop the gloom and doom mentality. Did you hear me? You got to stop the pouting and the moping. And I would argue at times it is appropriate because I understand there is a time for mourning. I understand there's some legitimate grief. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to mope during that time. And there's a season for that. But at some point, we got to learn from it and we got to get up from where we're at. And we got to allow God to turn the mourning into dancing. Can you say amen? Because this is what happens. As long as I'm moping, I'm not emotionally sober. Right? I mean, look at the text, man. The, the enemy ran for their life. They heard a noise. They heard all. They panicked. They said, oh, my goodness. And nobody was chasing them. And, and, and so let me ask you, sometimes we're, we're running from something. And, and it really, it's nothing there. It's the story you're telling yourself. Many times we're running from the story you keep telling yourself. Man, it's gloom and doom. I don't know what's going to happen. All this, and nothing's happening. Nobody's chasing you. Nothing's going on in your life. Oh, man, I don't know how we're going to get all this. And we begin to panic. And so what happens is when we become emotionally irrational, we make emotionally wrong decisions. When people become over-emotional, they make decisions that they wouldn't make when they would be emotionally sober. And you make a lot of emotional decisions when you're in panic. Hallelujah. When you're not emotionally sober, man, you're panicking. And God's trying to say, calm down. My brothers, we used to say, call me, call me, calm down, call me, call me. Call me, call me, call me, call me, calm, calm down. It's not going to be all, you know, just calm down. Some of us, we need to calm down. You've allowed, your, uh, you've allowed uh, these things around you to hijack your, your, your logical way of thinking, and now you're so emotional, you're, you're panicking. Oh, my God, we got to leave California. I got to go to Texas. Oh, my gosh. California is going to fall into the sea. Oh, my God, we got to leave. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? Call me, call me. Call me, call me. Going to be all right. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to prophesy right now. California is going to be the golden state again. You watch and see what God's going to do. It's going to be a place of prosperity. And all those people running to Texas are going to be running back to California because that's where the gold is. I'm prophesying it right now. I just thought I'd say that today. Come on. You got to calm down. Commie, commie. There you go. See, one of, one of the best things that we can learn is how to make wise decisions. That's a skill a lot of people don't know. How. I've met some real great spiritual people, but man, their decisions they make are dumb. No wisdom. Where did you get that from? You, you made it out of emotion, not from God. Number two, they understood the power of partnership. It was four of them. Did you hear me? It was four of them. They were able to come to a conclusion together in a conversation. And all of them together said, let's do this one decision together. They, they confide in one another. They look to one another for support. And together, this partnership, they made this one decision. The Bible says one will put a thousand to flight. Two will put 10,000 to flight. 
That's what you call synergy. It doesn't make sense. Basically, if one put the thousand, two should put two thousand. But the Bible says one will put a thousand, but two will put ten thousand to fly because there's something in the power of partnership. God is the God of multiplication, not addition. There's a common word that we know is synergy. Synergy is when you basically, uh, the, sum, uh, uh, the sum is greater to, when two people are working together than two people working individually. So in other words, you can get a lot more done when two people are working together rather than two working separately. That is a synergy. That's the power, and that is the power of partnership. And so they get around. They've got some wise counsel. All of us this morning, we have a circle that we hang around with, but is there anyone that's wise in your circle? See, a lot of us will say, oh, yeah, man, I have a mentor. Well, that's great. You have someone you look up to, but usually we're putting up a front in front of our mentor. We're usually we're trying to impress them. You're more open. You're more vulnerable around the people that are in your circle. But is there anyone in your circle that is wise? Is there any, well, you know, I knew them since I was a kid. They're, you know, we're, yeah, you, you went to the mall with them when you were young. You went to there, but are they wise? Are they going to tell you the right thing? When, you, when you're going through something, when you pick up the phone, can they speak into your life? Will, they, will you allow them to point out some? You know, all of us, in order to see yourself, you need a mirror. Can somebody be a mirror for you and point some things out in your life that everybody knows but you're not willing to admit? These guys, they were a circle and they were willing to say to each other, you know what, why are we going to sit here till we die? Yeah, yeah, fool, why are we here? What are we doing? Let's do something. Hey, what's your fault? Well, let's, let's get up. Let's do something. Thank God we got the wise circle. And the third thing was this. They took initiative. Say initiative. You need to take initiative if you're going to improve, if you're going to let God transform you. You, you, need, you need to stop waiting around for something to happen. You need to, make, you need to get up and do something. We're waiting. If they would have waited, nothing would have happened. And so they took initiative. Uh, my question is, how long are you going to wait for someone to rescue you? You need to get up. Sometimes the rescuing happens when you're getting up doing something. On the way up, God begins to help you. On the way up, it's usually, you know, we're, we're, we're just waiting for God. God's waiting for you to get up and do something. Take an initiative throughout the Bible, especially in New Testament. When Jesus did miracles, many of the miracles that Jesus did with people that uh, he responded to people that took initiative. The Bible said the woman with the issue of, uh, of blood, she took initiative. She said, if I can just reach out and touch the hem of his garment, she was healed by the power of God. Somebody took initiative. Uh, the Canaanite woman whose daughter was possessed by a devil, she came to Jesus. And Jesus said, man, uh, I, I don't, the master, you know, uh, uh, we don't give crumbs to dogs. She said, even the dog uh, eat from the master's table. Man, I need a miracle of God. She took some initiative. Martha and Mary, uh, they sent word that said, you know what? Our, 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 our brother is dead. Would you come and heal him? God is looking for someone that would press in, that will take a little bit of initiative, that will reach out. And on your way up, a miracle happens. And the Bible says that these lepers, man, they had a conscience. They got up. They got to that place. And man, the biggest favor of God Man, these guys went from zero to hero. Hallelujah. 
the four losers, man, became the greatest winners. And the Bible said they went from one place to another. And thank God they didn't become bitter. They became better. And the very people that were casting them out, think about this. The very people that didn't want them are the very people they were willing to go back and save. The very people that cast them out are the very people they were reaching back in. They said, we need to go tell them what's going on here. We need to tell them about the blessing. See, when God restores you, you need to tell somebody else about what God's done in your life. The blessing is just not for you. See, the Bible said do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, right? And so you're blessed. Why? So you can bless others. It's not just for you. The moment you think the blessing is for you, you're going to implode. You're supposed to give that blessing out. And these lepers, they went back and they reported back to the king. And again, we have a skeptic king goes, oh, this is the trick. Man, listen to what the lepers are telling you. Man, stop being a fool. Listen to what he's saying to you. And he said, he said no, it's a trick. They came, if you read the story, they came and they, and they reported to, to the king and, and to the king's uh, messenger. And they told him, hey, listen, man, everybody's gone. There's plenty of food. There's all of this, all these resources. And the, and the king said, no, it's a trick. What's going to happen? We're going to go out there and then they're going to kill us all. And thank God, if you read the story, one of the advisors of the king, all it takes is one. He made a decision. He said, well, why don't we just get a few men and the few horses that we have because we've eaten all the rest of them. we got just a few horses. Go out there and see what's out there. And the Bible said that's exactly what they do. And what do they find? All the resources, everything that's there, man. It's wild. And so the Bible says, uh, all the people, I can't read the whole story, but you go home and read it. They came, and, and when they heard, they ran out of the city. They stormed the gate. And guess who was at the gate monitoring the gate? It was the king's right-hand man. Remember that guy that didn't believe anything? And guess what? He didn't have time to open it. It's like at Walmart on Black Friday. He opened the door, and everybody attacked him and ran him over. That's exactly what happened. And the Bible said they killed him. I mean, it's a true story. And see, you would see it with your eyes, but you wouldn't eat it because he was a skeptic. God's looking for somebody that'll get up and believe God for a miracle today. All it takes is one decision. Don't let your circumstances, don't let your reason become the excuse of why you stay where you're at. Even if it's your fault, even if it's not your fault, even if it didn't cause it, even if, man, they were beyond your control. All of these circumstances were beyond these lepers' control, but they didn't let it become an excuse or a reason to become an excuse to stay where they were at. They made the decision, and it changed the rest of their life. Not only their lives, but the lives of an entire nation. So let's bow our heads. Father, we pray right now. Holy Spirit, that you would help us, that you would open our hearts today. Help us to be decision makers, God. Help us that when we make a decision, that, Lord, it will be wise. It won't be emotional. God, that our decision today will trust you. That, Lord, today we're going to trust you. And every God, we believe you're a God of the supernatural today. You're a God of miracles. And God, we're not going to let the reason become the excuse of why we sit and do nothing. Lord, we know that if all these lepers had to do to die was do nothing and sit there. God, the more we sit and do nothing, the closer we are to death. But God, today I pray, help us to move. Help us, God, to believe your word. Help us to do something. Help us, God, to rise up in our faith. 
Help us, God, not to allow our emotions and our panic to hijack our rationale. And, Lord, to put you first, to believe you. That, God, you're a God of the supernatural. That, God, you're unlimited. All it takes is one decision to believe you today, God. So if you're in this room right now, all it takes is one decision to get right with God. You're watching online. You're in this building. right. All it takes is one decision that can change your life. All it takes is one decision to be forgiven of your sin. See, the Bible says we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. I don't care how good you are. You're not good enough. The Bible said there's none righteous. All of us are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. So as good as you think you are, the Bible says we're sinners. It's the truth. That's all of us. We need God's forgiveness. And the Bible said the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so today, all it takes is one decision to get that eternal life, to have Jesus come in and forgive you of your sin, because we need it. All of us do. You need to make yourself open. Be vulnerable. Get rid of all the skepticism. God loves you. He cares about you. God wants to come in your life. That's the message where I, that's the message I'm sharing today. It's the good news to tell you I know someone in heaven. His name is Jesus. He loves you. He wants to come in your life, forgive you. He wants to make you a new person. You've been trying to do things. You've been wondering what the answer. Can I tell you the answer you're looking for? It's always been there. His name is Jesus. And all you have to do is open your heart today with every head bowed, every eye closed. Christians praying quietly right now. You're in this room right now, or you're watching online. You say, Pastor, I need the Lord in my life today. Be honest. Let go of the skepticism. Make one decision today. I need the Lord in my life right now. Don't worry about who's next to you. I need Jesus in my life today. Raise your hand real quick. That's me. Say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray? Several people right here. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Appreciate the honesty. Anybody else? Anybody else? If you're online, let us know. We don't, we don't want you to leave this place. All it takes is one decision. One decision. That's all it took. In 1981, I made a decision. I came into a place just like this, and I was sitting there. First time I'd ever been in a Christian church in all my life. Never walked in a Christian church. I was sitting there thinking, what is going on here? But I remember the Holy Spirit. I didn't realize it was the Holy Spirit. I needed to get right with God. And I raised my hand. All it was was one decision. Changed my life. From that moment on, changed my life. That's all it could take for you today. Is there anybody else right now? You haven't raised your hand. You raise it up. Say, that's me, Pastor. You're talking to me, man. Raise your hand. Who are you? Who are you? Is there anybody else right now? Anybody else? Maybe you were once walking with God. Maybe you were serving God. One decision to come back. Raise your hand if you haven't raised it up already. Just say, that's me. I need to come back. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hallelujah. Amen. You raise your hand over here. You guys mean that? You guys, you guys mean that? Can you look up at me? You guys mean that? Can I, can I pray with you? Would, or we'll have somebody pray with you. Would, would you get up? I need somebody to pray with this couple right here. I don't know who they are, but God bless you guys. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Can you pray with them? Why don't we all stand together? I don't want to. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to embarrass you. Just want someone to pray with you. We want to pray with you today. Come on, give these folks a hand, man. Hallelujah. Can you guys pray with them? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, God bless you, man. What's your name? 
James, God bless you, James. Well, would you pray with him? God bless you. Thank you for coming. Man, isn't that exciting? Hallelujah. Praise God. So this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to sing a song. And if you just feel like, man, I, I need to make a decision. I've, I've, I've allowed my reason to become an excuse to make me stay there and, and really cause me to be stagnant and not do what I need. I need to get up. And I believe on the way up, God meets you. And you'll be surprised what God can do in your life. And so if you want to come to the altar, you can. They're going to lead us in a worship. Come on, let's, let's sing. And if you want to come up here and just pray, we'll pray for you. We'll take a moment here. Come, you can come to the altar, whatever it is. Maybe hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount. Or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.